On behalf of the National Public Housing Museum, we thank you for tuning in to our oral history audio listening series, Out of the Archives. In each episode, we will share a diverse range of stories told by public housing residents from our oral history archive. Stories make up the backbone of any culture. They tell us who we are and where we are from. They create empathy and understanding, and they allow us an opportunity to share our experiences and learn from the words of others. The stories in our archive lift up the voices of an oftentimes marginalized community and create a space for important conversations to happen. Here at the museum, we firmly believe in the power and importance of everyday stories and their ability to expand and redefine our understanding of American history. Our mission is to preserve, promote, and propel the right of all people to a place where they can live and prosper, a place to call home. And we hope that this collection of stories not only reinforces that belief, but can shed light on an American experience that is all too often left unheard. This episode, entitled Full of Life, Learning and Personal Growth, features stories about finding yourself through arts and recreation, reclaiming and growing after trauma, and more. The storytellers from this episode include Ben Baker, who lived at the Ida B. Wells Extension Homes from 1979 to 2006, Marquita Gandhi, who lived at the Apple Homes from 1973 to 2009, Nakia Heron, who lived at the Robert Taylor Homes from 1979 to 1998, Olga Molina, who lived at the Lathrop Homes from 1969 to 1995, Sokia Ross, who lived in affordable housing in Providence, Rhode Island from 1986 to the present day, Henry Warfield, who lived in Elkeld Gardens in Cabrini-Green from 1969 to 2013. The story spanned from 1969 to the present day. So, Keo Ross, that's always that question where I'm like, hmm, do I go from the States or beyond? So, I am not from here. I was born in a uh, refugee camp after or during the uh, Khmer Rouge genocide, Pol Pot and the war over there. I was born in a Thailand refugee camp. So from the Thailand refugee camp, then in 82, 83-ish, 1982, 83-ish, we moved here after being sponsored for a couple of years to the United States. We stayed in California for maybe a night or two. And then we went to Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa for a few years. And then from 86 to the current is we are now located in Providence, Rhode Island. I got to learn a lot about myself um, and what healing really meant and what it felt like and what it looked like. And knowing that healing sometimes is a lifelong process. Um, And when I started touring at 19, I started to fall in love with community, the stage, dance, all over again because I went to the, back to the same neighborhoods that were similar to the ones I grew up with and from and really finding the beauty of it and how dope it was. You know, besides all the plastic, the multi-plastic and the drugs and this and that, the drive-bys, I forget about and the Puerto Rican cats and Dominican cats that was on that neighborhood cooking all the, every week, every, I mean, sorry, every week, every day, the smells that would fumigate the whole neighborhood. Um, the Nigerian folks that made their food, the Cambodian and Thai folks and the Hmong folks down the street that made their food, it made a plethora of like this melting pot of wonderful fragrances that you will never get anywhere else, right? And then looking at the cracks in the pavement and like, damn, this place has some history, you know? Looking at the cracks as if they were wrinkles on a human being. 
or the, the rings or the bark on a tree, right? And looking at a tree that has no leaves on it all year round, but still fucking standing, still standing. And that made sense to me because of the arts. I wasn't able to look at that from that perspective before, right? Um, and then the arts led into that trauma work that got me paid, you know? Because um, arts is the only thing that actually paid me. For, it wasn't a lot, but it was something that I loved to do. And that's how it led me into that field, right? And then realizing that a lot of folks are going through the same things that I went through and, and still going through now. Yeah. That we can do this process of creating, experimenting, collaborating, conversing, and making pathways towards change, and also healing from it, because that's one of the most important aspects in life. If you're doing all this work and you're not healing from it, there's no point. My name is Nakia Heron. It was normal to me, you know, that's, what, that's the only thought I can give it. It was normal to me, you know, in an abnormal environment, we find our normalcy. You know, it's like, when I think about it today, it's like the conditions and the things that we were living in, we didn't recognize it because we was finding our way around it and learning how to be human in this environment. So it was fun to me. It was dangerous. It was, it was all things wrapped in one to make for an exciting childhood. Because the families were responsible for all the children, you know. I'm gonna say it like this: if, if in the buildings, that, that was everywhere you go in the black neighborhood. It wasn't just the projects. If if you grew up in a neighborhood or a building, you know, everybody, every parent in the building who knew who you were had felt responsible for you, and they would discipline you if you if they saw you doing these things. That goes from the women as well as the men who saw you doing these things. They would discipline you. You know, and, and tell you that why you shouldn't be doing this and all this stuff. Today, you can't discipline anyone's child because, for one, they the police can get involved, and that's a whole nother story. And then the parents themselves like, don't be him, my child. But what if I see your child sticking his hand in a in a in a in a socket? Should I just let your child do that? If I see your child fitting around in the street, and and over and over, I'm telling him don't run in the street after that ball but he keep doing it you know should i just let your child get hit by the car it's a lot of things there's a lot of questions that that broke down the family the family structure in 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 our community the black community now that's what i'm speaking to it's like i feel that the, the government has more authority over the child than the family do when it shouldn't be like that the family should have more authority over the child than the government does because the the family is the one who's raising the child so so if you violate a rule in the family how come i can't lock your ass up because if you violate a rule in society they're gonna lock you up in the government they're gonna lock you up how come i can't put you in your room and leave you there how come i can't decide to discipline on my child but they can decide to discipline on our child. Okay, you got 50 years in the penal institution. You got boot camp. You got to go do these push-ups and work out and do all this here. You know, you got to be away from your family and this is what you can eat. This time you get locked up. That should be for the families first. And if the family had the power first, it would divert a lot of the problems that's happening in that society. And then if the, if the parents had trust in each other all over again, like the trust that was with my mother and our neighbors. Because my mother had a confidence that the neighbors weren't going to do nothing to me just for no reason. And it was true. 
they didn't. If nine times out of ten, if I got a whooping outside, no matter what I said, I actually did what they said I did. You know, and I try and battle that, but my mama, she, nah, we, okay, girl, I got him, and then take me in the house and whip me as well. Those stories are true. My name is Olga Molina. Well, when it started, it was a boys, literally for boys, it was only for boys, and they started in one of the apartments in the development where they had like special activities just for boys. They ended up building the actual boys club where it was like a big facility where there was a gym, there was art, there was games room, computer room, a dance room where we would work dancing. Oh my God, it was so much fun. And then for years, it was just boys for boys, and then they eventually put boys and girls club. Then eventually the girls were allowed to come and we had members like from cadet was for little kids Preps and like the juniors and alumni, which is that's me today. I'm an alumni <laughs> um, So yeah, I mean that that played a big role in all of our lives versus being out on the street doing what we're not supposed to we had those um great um leaders counselors there were we were held accountable i mean it was like a parent another parent that like going from your house to the next building which is the boys club they were like our parent there was always respect there always um and then we had our summer jobs in the neighborhood where it was through the city of Chicago. And so we had jobs here, either working in the boys club as a counselor's helper or in the kitchen in the neighborhood. There was like lunch rooms that they had in the neighborhood where you'd have to go. They like specific people um, working the lunch rooms where you can, a child can go eat up until eight years old from a baby or a little, they could eat themselves and until they were 18 years old. Um, so basically learning how to either prep the food and how to store it and, you know, so we learned as far, I never got to work in that, but I, I liked it, but I knew about it. <laughs> We're knowing how to refrigerate the, the milk and, and yeah. And then the neighborhood also, we had, that's what I had to do. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> cleaning the streets. We had our, like, our hard hat, um, um, sweeping, painting rocks, painting trees, just raking, making sure the development was nice and clean and kept up, you know, where it wasn't so much on the maintenance people of the development because it was so big, you know, because they thought it was a uh, development that has 925 apartments. Being Baker, well, like I said, it's always been like, bad cops here and there. But back then, police were, were, were more approachable, you know what I'm saying? It, as opposed to now where, it, you know, they always say you're innocent until proven guilty. Well, now they say like, you guilty until proven innocent, like out, off the back. Like, you, as soon as they get the call, you guilty before they put the handcuffs on you, before you get in the back of the police car, before you make it to the police station, before you get to the county, before you get in front of the judge, you guilty. So you got to fight and prove your way through all of that. Whereas the pros to back in the day is like reasonable doubt. Like why, why is the police here? You could call the police nine people, you the one wind up in jail. It's just, it's just, totally different now. If, if they not shoot you, like I said, there's a lot of 
bad policing right now. And I believe, how could you police my community when you don't live in my community? You don't come here and, and get to know people. They not, or never have, they had the proper training to to deal with a child whose mother is strong out on drugs, whose father was non-existent, who not doing good in school because he don't have what he feel is the proper attire, the, 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 the clothing to keep up with everybody else, the new shoes. So now he feel like an outcast. So his, his, his only, his only ways of dealing with stuff is violence. You talking about me, you talking about me, I'm dirty, I'm a bomb, because I ain't got the new choice, I ain't got this, I ain't got that, so only thing, my only reaction is violence. So how do you deal with, with him? Lock him up? No, because the problem is deeper than just that. Why do he act like that? Them the questions you need to ask yourself as the officer or as the teacher or whoever, that, that, that's the disciplinary or the authority figure. Why is he acting like that? Why? My name is Marquita Gandy. And I love, we had an art teacher um, at Holy Family. I really love that. She lived, she was from the community too, but she was the art teacher there at Holy Family. Miss um, Mary. Love, everybody loved Miss Mary. She was um, she was one of the best art teachers we had, and she actually wound up teaching us. Um, she was the art teacher, and she was actually one of our teachers when right when I went to fifth grade. She wound up teaching fifth grade, and she was the art teacher as well. So, and she lived in the community, so she was from the community. I like her her spirit; like she just was full of life, you know. She, you know, she didn't make you feel bad about if you messed up on your art project. You just be like, you know, come on, let's fix it or do this. It's okay. Like next time you'll get it and stuff like that. And then by me, because um, I'm Catholic, so I'm a part. I went to, you know, I'm a, a member of Holy Family Church. Even though I went to the school, I'm also a member of the church. And we were in the choir, and she actually was a choir member as well. So, and I just used to love her. She just had just. That's her whole aroma, you know, appearance and everything. Her spirit, you know. Yeah. How about your mom? You, you talk a mom? Like yeah, you describe your mom? Yeah, my mom. She was she worked, worked, she worked. Um, my father, he actually used to work at the Boys and Girls Club when we were real little. I wasn't even old enough to go to the boys club then when he worked there. Um but you know, my mom, she was like more of the, the disciplinary for us. My father was a little laid back, but if he had to step up, you know, he stepped up with our mom. And I mean, you know, like my mom, she always, in the summertime, she made sure that we had things to do. Like we never was bored. Like just, we just outside playing all the time. We actually used to take trips. Um, we used to love, every other summer, we used to go visit my mom's family. And then a couple of summers we would go visit my father's family. But we knew every other summer we was going to visit my mother's family. 
So we always looked forward to that. And then they would come up here that, you know, the following year. So we used to have some nice summers. And um, so my mom always made people feel welcome. Even my grandmother, my father's mom, they all, you know, my father's mom, she used to always cook big Sunday dinners. I mean, any and everybody can come in to eat. I mean, even when people moved away, they used to still come back. They be like, we know it's Sunday. If we can't get no meal from nowhere else, we know we can go to the Gandy's house and get a meal. And I actually cook like that now, like big. And that's why me and my sister, I act, we actually have our catering business now. And that's why I do the vending at the Park District, because I love to cook and I love the kids. And I, you know, always want to make sure, you know, like the kids eat because that's how we were brought up. So, I mean, I just love it. Henry Warfield, you know, the community produced a lot of great people as well as a negative that, that comes along with it. But the community was, was really great. I mean, you know, I had my learn, first learning experience of to avoid danger, um, how to support uh, other families who were victimized by uh, drugs, the gang culture, um, domestic violence. You know, like I said, it was a village. Everyone was always helping each other out. But you also had those who preyed upon the folks who uh, lived in certain different developments, especially yards. And in Cabrini, it was one of the most notorious uh, public housing projects, not only in Chicago, in the world, only because we were steps from the Gold Coast and Chicago's downtown area. Public housing is just like a regular community um, throughout any great city, any suburban uh, area, it, it, it's, a, it's a neighborhood, it's a community. But I did forget to leave out one of the greatest treasures at a public house, especially in Cabrini Green. Are you familiar with the Patillo restaurant? Yeah. The Patillo family comes from Cabrini. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a neighborhood. Uh, sometimes things are rougher than others in in the neighborhood. Sometimes some neighborhoods are better than others. And as a kid, I always thought I lived like in one of the greatest, safest communities. Unless you see something or hear something, because when you used to hearing like gunshot, it becomes a norm. And you think that as a kid that every neighborhood experiences until you go outside the neighborhood and it's not true. But uh, my my community in my neighborhood, uh, it was just a sense of family, friends, and you might have a bad apple here and there. And what I can what I can really say what I can tell someone who doesn't live in that uh, environment there are really great people uh, in these type of developments 
and they're also bad people in this type of development. But it's also throughout the suburbs as well, like your serial killers, your, your pedophiles, your bank robbers. Um, it's just when when the first time I heard the term black on black crime, I was like, oh yeah, I understand that. But majority of the people that know each other do the most crime to each other. So if I'm European descent, majority of my crimes are gonna be people that look like me. But you know, it, it's that word black that that this is it's a the way how people dissect it is very shady, you know. But people like myself and and you and our culture, black is like the most beautiful thing that you could ever come across. Um like black sand. I remember the first time I saw black sand, I thought that was the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> you know, and and I would just tell people that you never may know who your next blessing coming from, a person from the projects, and you probably don't even know that the guy that's on the bench grew up in the projects and now he's judging you. Once again, the NPHM thanks you for listening to this episode of Out of the Archives. This series is supported by the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Kresge Foundation, and the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. This episode was engineered by Seth Engel. We'd like to give one last huge thanks to our storytellers, Ben Baker, Marquita Gandhi, Nakia Heron, Olga Molina, Sokia Ross, and Henry Warfield, as well as the members from the museum's Oral History Corps and other oral historians who helped to gather these stories, including Francesco de Salvatore and Shakira Johnson. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to sharing more stories with you next month. <laughs>